Welcome back to the Great Dive Don't Panic Podcast, everybody. <laughs> Panic prone Brando here. Who are you today? I am Stay Calm Jamesy. <laughs> I am uh, a Fonzie Cool Man Bro Brando. How are we going to be on this dive, people? We're going to be like little Fonzies. Little Fonzies. <laughs> everybody <laughs> be cool. <laughs> what is Fonzie? He's cool. He's cool. Well, hey, Brando, after a couple of weeks of talking about diver panic and um, getting some good responses back from the people about diver our diver panic shows, I did find a reality-based lesson for life to kind of go right along with it. So not just theoretical papers about panic, but I found a pretty cool story about what happens... When nerves push a diver over the edge, diving too deep, diving deep on air, getting tangled, getting messy, freaking out a little bit, and not going well. I can guess what happens, but I haven't even heard the story, but I can guess what happens, but I'm not going to. I'm gonna no, I'm going to keep you right on edge, just like <laughs> the, the rest of the people, just like the old days of Great Dive Podcast. Yeah, We're right. going back to our roots. It's good to stay at our roots, just like the roots of our hair, our nice, smooth, no hair body hair. <laughs> you know what? I'm glad you mentioned that because it's <laughs> we are in September, everybody. And I do want to take a quick second to talk about self-care. It's very important this time of year. And when it comes to making an impression, proper grooming is essential to looking and feeling your best when you walk into a room. Or out onto the dive boat. That's why the sponsors of today's show, you guessed it, Manscaped, are committed to helping men around the world walk and talk with some swagger this season with the best grooming tools on the market. Join the 9 million men worldwide, everybody who trust Manscaped, and enjoy this offer, 20% off of free shipping with the code TGDP at manscaped.com. Don't neglect your beautiful self. Get right this summer with Manscaped, Rando. You know, especially I think like we look at these incidents. Do you think being manscaped might have helped out a little bit? Do you think I'm telling you that there's smooth? times where you're you're out of trim, buoyancy's off, your kick looks like shit. Being a little bit of a sleeker <laughs> version of yourself, you know, because you have been only help. grooming with that bread, you know, beard hedger pro trimmer, you know, cleaning oh. up from head to toe, making it sleek and smooth. I think it only could help. And of course the old weed whacker. You get the Weed Whacker 2.0 going because when you do get back up on the boat, you don't want stuff hanging out your nose. You know, it, it's going to happen. It's going to happen. It's the ugly truth of scuba. Stuff's going to come out your nose. And if you're not smooth, even in your nose, <laughs> it's going to get ugly, man. And you don't want to be talking to that, that beautiful dive master who you, who you, that's probably the reason you went on the trip. And there you are, you know, bragging about how cool you are. Listen, I remember not having quite the confidence out on the dive boat, out and trying to talk to that gorgeous <laughs> dive master. Her name was Helena, I believe it was. <laughs> Helena. Was she Greek? But you know what? That was until 
I started using my old crop preserver groin deodorant <laughs> and crop reviver groin spray. I can tell you from experienced people, this has taken my confidence on the dive boat and in the bedroom to a whole new level. Wow, chicka bow wow. <laughs> Once again, everybody, Manscaped supports the Great Dive Podcast so much. They provided an exclusive offer for our listeners. Get 20% off for free shipping with the code TGDP at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com. Use the code TGDP. Feel like yourself again and take charge of your life with Manscaped. I think it should be mandatory equipment for dive students now. Mask, Check. snorkel. Check. Fins. Check. Boots. Check. Weed Whacker 2.0. Double check. <laughs> Got it. Beard, Beard Hedger Pro. <laughs> Got it. Look at me. I used it this morning. So, Brando, um, like I said, you know, last couple of weeks we were talking about confidence. Yes. We are talking about panic. Yes. Oh, we were also talking about don't touch my fucking shit. Great Dive Podcast stickers, <laughs> and the orders that people have been coming out of the woodworks wanting to get their hands back on uh, Great Dive Podcast, don't touch my fucking shit stickers. We still have more, uh, so you can keep PayPal and five bucks over to info at the Great Dive Podcast. Don't forget to leave your name and address, and I'll get a pack of stickers out to you. But with two episodes, looking back at, you know, for 50 years, the uh, there, there's been people in the industry looking at instruction being too fast too quick too short not enough experience emphasis in the game right just get in the water you know uh learn some skills do a final exam make sure you you got a general understanding of some theory a couple open water dives get your ass out there go diving like that's like really the bare minimum to really get comfort in the water it takes repetitive time spread out over weeks months years of building up that confidence until you've got dozens of experienced dives in you at least dozens yeah and today's story is really not much different i mean it's another great dive podcast fan favorite lesson for life about a jittery diver who's ill-prepared to really put his skills and his stamina to the test this is once again written by our good pal uh, Eric Douglas uh, for scubadiving.com. You guys can check this out and read through it if you'd like to. Brando, these divers were exploring a shipwreck at the very edge of recreational diving limits, 130 feet of seawater. Now, very edge. Of there's a lot of wrecks around the around the world, around the Great Lakes, right here. Uh, you know, in our home waters where. It's a 130-foot dive, but the wreck's in 160 feet. You know, just make <laughs> yeah. sure you stay above the deck. Don't touch the deck. Stay, you know, 10 feet shallower than the deck of the, the, deck of the wreck. On your single tank, just zip down, take a quick look, and then come back up to safety. And I tell you, I've heard that story so many times of people diving, you know, wrecks out in the Great Lakes like this, and there's... A lot of them that have resulted in problems over the years. It's A, it's not enough gas. It's just not enough gas. There's no redundancy. There's so much to it, and that's the very edge of recreational diving, the 130 feet. It's really... 
It's like it, so. And officially, it's like the apex pinnacle of recreational of <laughs> recreational diving. Yeah. Yet they put the people that have zero experience, the the wrong equipment, the least amount of equipment, the least amount of gas. It's and they go, okay, go ahead. It's it's the edge. Go ahead and <laughs> go go tickle it. Go tickle it. Go touch it. Come on back. And yeah, usually nothing happens, but it can and it does. It's just. Again, diving's very forgiving, and you don't know what you don't know, and uh, the the uh, possibilities for messing up just increase the deeper you go. And when I say messing up, I, I mean by having a serious issue or a serious in- incident. So the deeper you go, it just increases exponentially. Remember how fast you're using gas. All these people are going to be on single tanks. You don't you don't have any time down there. No, I mean you're gonna you're gonna use up forty cubic feet in ten minutes. Oh yeah, and, well, and that's just if you're an average good diver. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And by the time you get down there, it's not Little. like you just pop down. It takes a few minutes to get down to a hundred plus feet. Anyway, it's the the potential for problems to occur increases exponentially as you approach that edge now it says that they were careful not to exceed that limit okay i take it back that they hovered just off the deck perfect at their maximum depth so everything i said doesn't really apply to these guys (gasps) oh just wait just wait (laughs) just wait wait. we had the deck well you you and i know very well that uh what, what we see out in the field especially you know doing classes you know, like this essentials class I'm going to be doing this weekend mm-hmm. is when you are swimming along, holding your depth and you're neutrally buoyant and everything's perfect. It's not that difficult to maintain your depth. Now, something goes wrong and you have to stop <laughs> and uh, the bottom is 20 feet below you. Where do you people usually gravitate towards? Well, the bottom, of course. And when you're on a wall <laughs> and the wall goes down another, you know, 50, 100, multiple hundred feet, maybe, it, people tend to fall right along with it because they're not truly neutral. neutrally buoyant. They're, they're using their swimming to control their buoyancy. Right. Yeah. And well, let's not, you know, throw out the idea that you're experiencing nitrogen narcosis to a pretty good level past 100 feet. You're... You're either going to get very nervous with, uh, you know, your mind going into the phobias in the paranoia state, or you go the opposite way a lot, which is, hey, what could go wrong? This feels great. You know, it's like you had a, a couple cocktails and, uh, you know, a Dude, couple this of dive sh- is awesome, <laughs> man. A couple shots of courage. You're going to go talk to that gorgeous, beautiful dive See, master nim- that you were, you know, nervous about when you left the boat. But now you're like, hey, look at me. I'm down here at 130 feet with her. You know, it's just like the the picture in the open water book where he he takes his regulator out and he's trying to talk to the fish. It's the same thing, except you're going to do stupid stuff. Right. And, you know, a lot of people go, oh, you can push that narcosis limit. And there's a difference with being perfectly in control and aware of yourself and being the new guy who's still struggling and exacerbating not only the nitrogen narcosis, but with some CO2, CO2 yeah. on top of it, right? It's a, it's a bad combo. 
Well, yeah, and uh, again, we talk. We're talking about new divers. That's like mixing cheap shots of courage <laughs> with cheap shots of tequila. <laughs> That's mis- mixing and red a cheap wine, Canadian whiskey to move. and white wine. In my world, you never mix red wine and white wine. But yeah, so now you're on the deck, but you look over the edge. You've got a little courage in you. You're feeling good. You're feeling really good. You look down at your gauge. You have, you know, 1,200 PSI left. You're like, whoa, that's a good amount. <laughs> 1,200. Till, it's got two it's... zeros after, you know, after the 12. Oh, that's I still cool. got zeros. <laughs> exactly. Good. <laughs> I'm going to go take a look. Down at the bottom. Well, yeah, yeah, and then something goes wrong, and then you take one of those, you know, one of those kind of breasts that's not like the other ones. The one that goes, (laughs) 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 and then then that needle goes, yeah. What happened to my zeros? Yep, Kevin was uncomfortable on the dive, Brando. Well, of course he was. He he really had a crush on the dive master, and she she thought he was kind of a schmuck. She shut him down the night before, but but, <laughs> but then she gave him that, that long stare and that wink when he was getting back on the boat, so he felt like he, he had a chance today. <laughs> Today's a new day in Kevin's mind. She didn't know old Jamesy from the Great Dive podcast was standing behind old Kevin. <laughs> <laughs> the depth, the loss of light, and the pressure he felt to see as much of the dive as he could in their limited bottom time weighed heavily on him. When all you're given is, like, I've got a tank. i got to make it work on this tank. And, well, we've got a no decompression limit of, you know, this amount of time. And the table's going to give me 10 minutes maybe. Yeah. All right. Now you, you overload yourself with too much work to try to get done on the dive. Yeah. Yeah, that task loading. And I'm going to see, you know, you tell yourself, I'm going to see so much of the wreck in that 10 minutes. and. Which makes you work harder, which, uh, of course, puts a, uh, a time pressure on you, and et cetera, and, et cetera. And the, the, you generally see less of the wreck. And less, yeah. and less. You, you see less than if you would have went down, never let go of the, the mooring line, and just <laughs> stayed there and looked around. You would, yeah. you would have seen more. Yeah, and seeing, again, I guess, seeing is not just like, okay, I just my eyes go over it and I see it. I, you have to observe it and get... You know, going on a shipwreck dive, that's the, that's the thing you're doing. Or even on a cave dive, you know, the more you get into diving, you're really examining. You really get the most out of the dives, examining those little parts and places of the wreck or the cave and uh, taking a good look at them. And number one, it, it kind of loads it into your memory so you have a better idea of where you are at in subsequent dives on the wreck. You know, uh, right? Yeah, I mean, it takes me a couple of dives to like absorb, absorb it all in. You know, it's it's again that long game approach that we talk about is absorb it in. You know, bring it into your mind so that you can envision where you want to go on future dives. You know, it it takes me a couple of dives to just get in the groove of where I want to go and what I want to see. I mean, I remember when I was young. Yeah, you'd get in on a dive, and I got to see every every little detail that there is. Right, and then they're like, "Did you see the giant pilot house what, huh? <laughs> right at the beginning with the the what? Huh? There was a pilot. There house. was the there was the pointy end anchors. Prop, I saw a pointy propellers. end, and I saw yeah. the yeah, exactly. I mean, you can uh, you can z- zip around the whole wreck 
yes, your eyes are open, but you're not really taking the rec in or you're not really taking the environment in, which is important not only for the experience, but also for uh, the dive, for the safety of the dive, for your navigation, for um, just your, your situational awareness. Am I saying that right? Sit- situational awareness. Edit that. <laughs> I sounded like I was James Bond. Shit. Situational awareness, Miss Moneypenny. Kevin and his buddy wrapped up the dive and headed toward the anchor line. And in the gloom, Kevin lost sight of his buddy. He twisted around looking for anyone else on the wreck. And in the process, he got twisted up in the buoy line and began to panic. <laughs> Not a good start. <laughs> well, I mean, let's look at where we're at. I mean, we're 130 feet underwater. Five at us. The max, the maximum depth for the certified recreational diver. Now, Kevin was a 41-year-old male. He had an advanced open water certification, and in his roughly five years of diving, had amassed about 50 total dives. So he truly was advanced. Most of which he did (laughs) in his local quarry. Fucking quarry divers, man. (laughs) So, but, uh, but again, I mean, this is, this is a a lot of the way, like the, the, you know, the, the scuba certification process has set divers up. You know, it's, there's so much glory on the big wreck dives. The practice takes place in an, in an environment. Sure, you're underwater. Yeah. But it's a completely controlled. different environment. Highly controlled. Highly controlled. You can take 40 minutes to walk off of the dock down the steps into the water at the quarry. Right. Or walk down the old, the old road, right? Yeah. Ankle deep, shin deep, knee deep. Waist deep, chest deep. Oh, back, back up. I dropped a fit. Not a big deal. <laughs> it, th- there is really like no stress involved whatsoever. Well, yeah, for that's... the certified diver going in. Now you get out on a boat, and there's a little different. some waves and some chop <laughs> and some wind, and you got to get your ass in like right now because we're we're limited on, on time out here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, quite a different environment. You don't have surge. You don't have waves. You ha- you don't have the unknown obstacles slash possible uh, entanglement hazards, things like that. That's why we use quarries to train people. That's why, you know, quarries are simple, easy. They're very, very uh, predictable, and, and getting in and out is super easy, and we, we have known depths and bottoms that we keep the students in those areas. Yeah, 99% of the time, you know, short of a, a, a tornado passing overhead, right. you're, you're probably getting in the water at the quarry, whereas 80% of the weather that comes through right. at the quarry site would negate the boat going out that day. Right. But you can still get into the quarry because it's completely controlled. Exactly. So it's not the same. You're, you know, getting an advanced certification after your first four open water dives and then you take your five advanced certification dives which one of them is down there at 100 foot right or you're trying to break 60 feet actually if your instructor 
gets you down to 100 feet. So one of them is deep. None of them go to 130 feet. Right, not on an advanced card. Exactly. So you you have nine dives. You have the patch on your jacket that says you are an advanced diver. And, of course, that gorgeous dive master, Helena, she does not. Well, she, she would never even have talked to Kevin if he didn't get the advanced patch. <laughs> well, in, in Kevin's mind, but Helena you don't knows. don't stand a chance with Helena. <laughs> Helena knows that that advanced patch means, well, he's got at least nine dives under his belt. He's got nine dives, and he spends his money foolishly because he has that silly-ass jacket. But... <laughs> but This is imitation satin. Thank you very much. <laughs> it's not silly. This, the sheen of this at night under the disco ball, amazing. It's amazing. You see the, you see the collar on this thing? And it's red with the giant white stripe across the chest. I look like a dive flag. How can you not love it, Helena? Um, anyway. <laughs> Oops. Hang on, let me turn off my my door alarm here. Um, yeah, anyway, it's... Again, we talk about this a lot. It's a misnomer calling it advanced. So really, you've got this false confidence from that, all those those classes and whatnot, and a bunch of quarry dives. Now you're in the real world, down at 130 feet on the deck, 130 feet. God damn it. <laughs> Every It's fucking, it's fucking uh, 8 o'clock in the morning. My phone's going off. Like I'm going to just turn it off. There. Yeah, you're down at 130 feet. You realized, hey, this isn't, this isn't the quarry. You're tangled up. It's not a good day. Right. I mean, in the quarry, you're using a lot of gas in 130 feet. Right. On a single tank, let alone when you had to fight on the surface to get from the the back of the boat to the bow of the boat, Mm -hmm. squaring away your descent in real open water, fighting a little bit of a current at the Mm -hmm. surface. You know, that takes up a a big chunk of gas. You don't have that pressure when you're in the controlled environment of a quarry dive. Exactly. Exactly. So it's not that quarry dives don't count, but just remember when you are quarry diving, it's it's quarry diving. Instructors take students there to train them for a reason. And and people go there to train for a reason. But going out into the real world is always a little different. And you don't know what – it's a box of chocolates. You really don't know what you're going to get. Right, Forrest? My, my mama always used to say that. <laughs> mama always told me. And that's all I got to say about that. Well, it was the first dive of the day. And Kevin and his buddy were diving off of their local charter boat with 10 other divers. The crew hooked up into the dive buoy attached to the shipwreck that rested in 150 feet of water at the sand with its deck and structure rising up from there. And Kevin had planned to dive to a maximum depth of 130 feet, and he was diving on air. Which is perfect for 130 feet if you want to get a little buzz going. You uh you can't afford that uh four dollar bottle of Boone's Farm cheap ass uh, <laughs> liquor store wine on the bottom shelf. Just go do a hundred and thirty foot air dive, people. <laughs> right. Right. You got you got no decompression limit, you got what, ten minutes? According to the Patty Recreational Dive Planner, 
they had a maximum of 10 minutes on the bottom at that depth before they would exceed their no decompression limits. But again, I mean, right there, I mean, you, you look at, you know, like one of our wrecks out in the Great Lakes that's right on the edge of that recreational technical zone, that tech-creational zone, the Dunderberg, where you're in like yeah. 155, 150. 50, yeah, yeah, yeah. On the deepest part of it, you know, but you're on the deck around 130, maybe a touch shallower. It's one of those dives where for years, well, listen, you can't take an 80, but if you got 100 cubic feet. <laughs> you're golden. <laughs> <laughs> if you got 100 cubic feet on air, we'll let you go. But but we, we're not so crazy as to let you on this thing with an 80 cubic foot tank. Mm-hmm. But still, I mean, it, it, it's still not an intelligently thought out dive plan. It's a, it's just, you're going there to say that you've been there right. to get the t-shirt, to write it in the logbook. You haven't done it with any real time and planning and, and execution, because if you put any of those factors into it, you never would have got <laughs> in the water a, with yeah. those, with that training and those tools, right? It's a schmuck dive without proper training, proper tools. It's just a schmuck dive. Can we call yes. it a schmuck dive? Am I am I going to offend somebody? Am no, I going to no, offend all the schmucks? Schmuck, yeah, we uh, we the already sh- talked about the uh, International Association <laughs> of Schmucknickel schmuck Divers. Schmucknickel diving. It's a schmucknickel dive. But yeah, I mean, I, I know a lot of schmucks are like, "Hey, we would never do anything that stupid." <laughs> but but that's the closest word I've got to describe that type of dive. It's a schmucknickel dive. Again, like you say, Jamesy, it's. You're not seeing the wreck. You're getting down there. You're going to try to swim around for a few minutes, and then you've got to head home. The The descent's going to take a minute to two minutes and probably even up to five minutes for a lot of people. Listen, if you're on a single tank doing that dive, right there that tells me you're not experienced enough to do that quickly right. and efficiently. You don't have the brains either. Right, right yeah, because yeah. you, you wouldn't have chosen that equipment setup. I get it. You're on the dive boat. Uh, you're the dive master on the dive boat and somebody has a problem and you know and uh the only thing there is a single tank you're gonna bop down and grab them and and help them back up totally different story for why you're on on that wreck with a single tank you know what i mean exactly like to drive three hours to pay 150 200 bucks for a charter boat (laughs) <laughs> to to take a hour boat ride out to fight through all the surface conditions to go underwater for 10 minutes are you are you kidding me yeah it, it, it doesn't make any sense to us it doesn't kevin and his buddy were each using a single tank they knew their air consumption rates would be high at depth and kevin realized his bottom time would be limited both by time and air supply factors Prior to the dive, Kevin tried to remember everything his dive instructor had taught him about deep diving in his advanced open water class. This was the deepest dive he had made since his training. He recalled that he would lose light at depth and color. He wondered out loud how he might react to gas narcosis at depth. I wonder how I might react. The gas narcosis. If only I would have taken a <laughs> class that would have. <laughs> so, Brandon, let's look at this accident. Okay. Let us shall. Nearing the end of their allotted time, Kevin's buddy signaled that it was time to head back to the boat. And at first, 
Kevin didn't seem to recognize the signal or his buddy's meaning. But after a couple of tries, he nodded his head, swam toward the bow of the wreck where the buoy line was attached. Did they both swim there or did he just swim alone? He's like, well, he was they the, exchanged like the, some the, conversation and then they, they swam, which you see a lot. I mean, <laughs> sometimes, yeah, and just do something. Yeah. Should we go back? Yeah. Yeah, let's go up here. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I've, I've been there. I've, I've, I've seen it yes. firsthand, you know, uh, teaching a class up in uh, Tobomore, you know. Like, <laughs> All right, we got to go back. Okay, I start swimming, and the student goes the other way. Like, what are you, what are you doing? <laughs> I thought you said, let's go over here. <laughs> I mean, this but is again, a good... That's, up. A that's good. what 130 feet on aerial duty, yeah. right? Yeah, even if, the, even if the, the communication was, you know, succinct and clear and, and obvious, at 130 feet... You never, you don't know, you don't know what's going on in the noggin of the the divers down there. Right, you know, it's it's not that when you go like narcosis in 130 feet of air is going to be, you're totally wasted, it, man. No, no it's it's, it's uh, little it's little mix ups in communication like that, or or it's easy to misinterpret, or you've got something already going on in your head, and somebody gives you a signal, and you just okay it out of habit. Yeah. Knowing that. or not knowing that you're going to do the exact opposite because you have something else in your brain right now. Right. Right. And that 50 dives under your belt, that can happen at 60 feet. <laughs> you know? Right. Yeah. Yeah. You are not super experienced. but Now, at the buoy line, Kevin's buddy reported that Kevin turned back and forth in the water as if looking for something. And in the process... Kevin's tank valve and BCD got twisted up in a piece of rope that was attached to the buoy line. Kevin's buddy tried to get Kevin to stop moving so he could assist him. <laughs> but in the <laughs> schmucknickle diving course, it says move about rapidly with quick jerky mo- movements. <laughs> and it might come undone. <laughs> but Kevin wasn't focusing on anyone around him. We had we had the uh, discussion last week, right, about how when you're when you're stressed and you're working hard and you start getting that hyperventilation going. Yes, you get the peripheral narrowing where I can't see the people that are right there in front of me trying to help. And then, you know, the pattern of your respiration is going to indicate the impending stress, which leads to the panic that we spent the last two weeks talking about. Right. This is the beginning of the snowball. This is this is actually the beginning of the snowball is really when he got in the water. But he's packing a little bit more, and he's just now laying it on the ground and beginning to roll it towards the hill. <laughs> well, I think he was packing, <laughs> packing the snowball, you know, when he decided, yeah, right. let's sign up for the boat. That's, that's exactly right. 130 feet. Yeah. It's actually 150, but we'll only stay at 130 on this single tank. Yeah. Here he, he's he's well rolling yeah. down the hill. Yeah, point. he's got it. He's got the ball on the hill. I'd agree. He's 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 past the hump and that's going down the hill. Later, dudes. <laughs> I got the snowballs to take care of. Well, Kevin did what you can expect happening next for somebody to hundred and 30 feet underwater. He took his ride up, out. tangled up, <laughs> twisted up, 
doesn't know where he's at, narked out, I'm, can I guess, uh, afraid that he's going <laughs> to yeah. drown on the bottom. What's the perfect thing for somebody to do? Take your gear off. Take off all of your equipment to to because you'll fix it. Because <laughs> in the schmucknickel diving course, that was the second thing you should do after you move around very rapidly with quick jerky movements in all directions. Kevin spit out his regulator. Perfect. <clears throat> As <laughs> step it's protocol, one. it's textbook. <laughs> Go ahead, textbook. Kevin's buddy tried giving him his own alternate air source, but Kevin wouldn't take it. it. Of course not. That's not my regulator. That's not mine. <laughs> Don't you remember the class? <laughs> Another diver arrived as Kevin's buddy indicated he had to surface because he was low on air. It's <laughs> all right. I don't need you your take over. I can't say I don't got time for this shit. <laughs> this this guy's. But the problem though is Kevin was still tangled up with no regulator in his mouth. Hmm. Now the third diver comes over. <laughs> he pulls out his knife <laughs> to cut Kevin loose. Any of you guys want a piece of me? <laughs> what, what's going on? Now again, but this is like where a, a lot of people come in, you know, and it's like there's chaos going. There's oh yeah, this is a James Bond in. movie, right? There's here. a guy yeah. with no regulator in his mouth who's tangled up, and the first thing I see is the entanglement. Okay, let's focus on the entanglement. Yeah, don't worry while, about nothing while in his I'm mouth. behind him, cutting him free, and, uh, and he's got nothing to breathe. Right? Well, I can't leave what... him down. I can't leave his body down here. It's going to have no. to get to the surface somehow. Which is what he did. He he cut him loose. Yeah. And sent him to the surface by inflating Kevin's BCD and <laughs> dropping his weights. Later, dude. <laughs> I shouldn't be laughing, guys. But this is like. This should be on. Uh, it's too bad they didn't have GoPros or something like. If you this, caught this, it could be in the class. Yeah, it, it could be. I mean, in in some ways, it, it's it sounds like a Looney Tunes cartoon. But to to their defense, I mean, that's what you were kind of taught. You know, you're entangled. That's what you're nice for. Cut it out. Oh yeah, release the weights and send the person up. Yeah, later. That's that's taught. That's this a is learned, taught, right? Yeah. From 130 feet? That's a bad day. Inflate a BCD and drop weights? Your BCD, even if you inflate it a little from 130 feet, why would you? Yeah, holy shit. He's going to completely times. clear the surface. Yes, it's Polaris time. Surface. It's Polaris time, yeah. And by yeah. the way, Polaris was a missile that launched from underwater. That's for the young folks. Did they still use Polaris missiles? If not, they should. <laughs> now it's no surprise but kevin was unconscious at this point he floated to the surface alone with his regulator out of his mouth was when he, he arrived un unconscious underwater when they cut him when you say at this point do you mean underwater when they cut him yes oh, well, okay. yeah so, so the guy comes over cuts yes, him free well. and then the guy realizes oh shit he's yeah. He doesn't have a regulator. He's unconscious. So he inflates his BCD, dumps his weights, and sends him to the surface. When we arrived, the boat crew quickly grabbed his unconscious body, pulled him onto the boat, but were unable to resuscitate him. Well, that's... And the medical examiner obviously declared Kevin's death a drowning. Yeah, all jokes aside, it's, it's, this one was uh, easily preventable from 
before getting on the boat, but even underwater, there were a lot of things you could have done differently. I mean, but when we look yeah. at... It's the mindset. Yeah, it's it's totally the mindset because there's so many divers out there that you talk to. I get it. You got to encourage the excitement and the passion, but you got to do it in a way that lets people know the, the, the real dangers involved and that, yes, you learned to scuba dive on a single tank and you did your advanced training in a single tank. And we even, you know, uh, you know, did some sensual tickling of, of deep diving, you know, right. still in your single tank. And nobody's telling these people that there's a point where you got to realize this is gear for a very basic, shallow recreational diving world. And if you're going to play around in this new zone, the training that you have, the equipment that you're using for swimming 30, 60 feet on a dive in Grand Cayman is not what you take to do a shipwreck in 150 feet of water. Yeah. Here, here's the other thing, James. I mean, you had people offering regulators to him, okay? And a lot of folks we see, and I, I know it's out there quite a bit, is I'll just bring a pony bottle, you know, or God forbid, I've got a spare Problem hair. solved. Problem solved. You had gas available, okay? People were offering you gas. And he still had gas on his back. And he had gas on his back. Do you under- so I hope people are starting to get their minds wrapped around this whole, like, just because you have it doesn't mean you can do it. it it's a mindset, and it's training, and it's... Again, we got to be little Fonzies down there. You got to stay cool. Panic does that narrowing. Yeah, the his mind. We don't know exactly where it is, but we know where it wasn't. I mean, that's we can mark off. Wasn't on there you go. anything you know pertinent or trained that went out the window, or door, or hatchway, or portal. It's gone. Yeah, and <laughs> just because on your advanced deep dive, you know. Uh, questionnaire you check you check the box don't run out of air on deep dive check. rule number one right? Step when one. diving below 100 feet do you a run out of air b <laughs> never run out of air or c all the above no it's b never run out of air come on that's an easy one how could i how could i go wrong there it goes to and again back to training we talk about entanglement Everybody talks about it in multiple classes. You might get entangled. You got a cutting device. That's as far as it goes. The training, the the agencies or most agencies aren't going to allow you to play around with that as an instructor. So they have no real world training under their belt whatsoever. So when they do get entangled, it's pat, you know. It's completely brand new to them. Right. They've got no real knowledge of how to experience it. Yeah, while you're sitting in a classroom talking about it, it's easy to think about, well, yeah, you just stay calm. Right. Of course, don't thrash around and turn turn into it. Well, duh. I was turning away from it. <laughs> no, you, you have no idea what's going on behind your head and behind your back. It's right, crazy. but in underwater, it's a completely different world, and you right. can get somebody that's got a 100% on every exam and quiz that they've ever taken about That's diving me. theory. That's me. But you put them in the water and have one little thing <laughs> not uh, go perfectly. Yeah. Yeah. And you can throw all that rational thinking out the window because no longer once that breathing rate changes and the stress hits, 
you don't work the same way that your land brain worked. Right, but the lawyers, when the court case goes up, the lawyers can say, hey, look, question number seven on the exam said, what to do when I become entangled? Stop, think, breathe, act. He didn't do that, so we're not liable. The training wasn't there is what I'm getting at with that right, sarcasm. I know what you mean. Okay. There's there's a question that's a question on an exam is not training, people. A question on an exam is not training or a quiz. Now Eric says in the analysis that several factors came into play in this accident, including entanglement and quite likely gas narcosis. Just as important though was what happened before the divers even entered the water. Interesting. Kevin was uncomfortable with the dive while they were still on the boat. And that pre-dive stress likely contributed to his problem. Well, yeah. Likely. Highly likely. Highly likely. I mean, you're, you're going into a, a foreign environment. Now, it, it's I know there's many, many divers out there that have done a 130-foot dive on a single tank and came back and lived to tell the tale of it. Yeah. Right? That happens all the time. The whole they, they, agency they work is, through it. The, well, anyone with a schmucknickel diving card, that's part of the qualification. So you know there's a whole group of folks out there. <laughs> but even if you're committed to doing the, the a dive to that caliber, you have to understand that you can't just go into it like it's the same old dive at the quarry. No. No. I mean, if you want a, the, any chance of, of surviving it, you've got to go into it kind of like it's a fight. Like you got to be on edge, ready for all the bad stuff to happen. And that's what good training is going to do to you. It's going to get you prepared for something like that. Have I gone to 130 feet in the quarry? Should be the number one question. Have I ever done this before? <laughs> No. Fuck no. Have I had training to do this? Nope. No. No. Fuck no. Do I have the experience in lesser depths to do this? 50 dives? Fuck no. So there's a lot of, you know, where it was yes, no, and fuck no. You checked fuck no for all of those boxes. <laughs> Doctors David and Lynn Colvard have performed groundbreaking research, Eric says, into panic situations and divers. And their initial research published in 2003 included 12,000 accident reports. And one of their primary findings was that pre-existing anxiety or stress combined with an unexpected stressful event leading to panic in some divers. And Dr. Colvard explained in an email that the thing that came out most clearly was that all the panic divers were anxious before they ever entered the water. This was true of both student and experienced divers. You could say that for 90% of divers, you know. Yeah, no they, kidding. They're anxious before they get in the water. We know this. We know heart rate goes up before folks engage in something that's a little, you know, on the edge kind of thing, whatever yeah, you want to we call just, it. Yeah, we, we, we just had that about, conversation yeah. in the last yeah. last two weeks, yeah, by the even, research. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Exactly. Even with experienced divers, even with pros, they, yeah, they get a little, little butterfly, a little heart increase. So there's a little, but it's, uh, it's different for the two, I don't know if there's only two types of people, but it's a little different for the two types of people. One is anxious because they know exactly all the things that could go wrong and they're going through it in their head. 
And the other's anxious because they are, it's the unknown and they don't know what the blankety blank is going to happen. Yes, that stress and anxiety exists in everyone to a certain degree. Right. And it's going to trigger a, res- a response of either, hey, don't forget, this is a serious dive. You got to have all your ducks in a row. Or if, if you don't have any experience to build it on, it, it, it's all question marks. And you're just crossing your fingers, hoping that nothing goes wrong because, you know, it's, it's all about the coolness of the dive. And yeah. I'm going to see something awesome. And I get to tell everybody I did this dive with no clue, no awareness, no understanding because it's the, the bad stuff, the bad possibilities have never been shown to you. And then when one of them does happen, you've got no experience in in dealing with staying calm in a stressful situation because everything's always been roses. Yeah. Yeah, you don't even have ducks to put in a row, really. So Now Kevin hadn't been on a deep dive in several years. <laughs> <laughs> Kevin hadn't even put his gear on. Yeah. I think we're going to find it. we're just going to keep peeling this onion back and and it's uh, just uh yeah, you had almost you you had it to the point where you almost only had one outcome from this dive and and it was this one. Right, right. I mean the the problem here isn't that Kevin got tangled up in the in the line. No. It goes way back. He had an advanced open water certification. But that's not the same, Eric tells us, as experience on deep dives. <laughs> it's, a, it's like Eric's a host on the Great Dive Podcast. Yes. In this case, it may have contributed to Kevin's nervousness since he vaguely remembered the potential problems with the dive, but couldn't recall what to do about them. It's clear from the reports of the other divers that Kevin also had gas narcosis. The only thing that negates gas narcosis, however, is ascent. It's likely that diving to 130 feet with a limited air supply increased Kevin's worrying about not exceeding that depth, about how long his air would last, and seeing enough of the wreck before he would be forced to ascend. It's likely. Likely. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that target, that target fixation and... Task loading, like uh, the worrying about, do I even have enough to make it? Likely. It's it's like you've made it so that's, it's 100% certainty that this is going to happen. I mean, you haven't dived in a while. You haven't dived to those depths ever. You've got 50 blankety-blank dives under your belt, for crying out loud. When he got entangled in the floating rope... He couldn't think clear enough to extricate himself or allow anyone else to do it for him. Yeah. When you see panic underwater, there's nothing like it. Yeah. You've never seen panic on the on land like that. Like like you, you like you will see in the water. I'd agree. I'd agree and I've seen a lot of people panic on land and underwater different animal and it's uh it's wild. It's crazy. Uh, it, it is it's feral. Yeah. Wild like like out of control like i've seen people have panic attacks in their car before going into a meeting or work or something or uh, (laughs) going to to meet old jamesy yeah yeah yeah. (laughs) i've seen some bad ones in my day yeah but underwater yeah there is a uh, a vicious 
like just abandon that occurs when panic hits. Of logical thought is goes out the door. That's like one of the first things you open up the door. You take logic and reason, and you say, "You stay over here." And then you shut the door, lock it, and you chuck the key into a a treasure box, and you take another lock and you lock that key away. That's that's what's going on. Logic, reason, go out the door, window, whatever. Um, gear starts coming off, and usually the first pieces are like your mask and regulator. Later, clowns. Right, the the, the two most foolish things. I mean, it, it, the the exam question would be, what would be the two <laughs> stupidest things, things you could ever get rid of in any underwater situation <laughs> that you would never, ever do? A, Mask and regulate. <laughs> Nobody. It. There's not. Uh, I mean, the guy that didn't even attend class, yeah. right? The guy that slept. He's not even every, open water certification. The guy who slept through every. <laughs> yeah, the guy that slept through every lecture, didn't read the book. Yet it's the most common thing that happens in the water. Agreed. Yeah, agreed. We see, you see that all the time. You know, the eyeballs fill, fill the entire mask. It's just eyeball, and uh, you know. Bad things are about to happen. Divers often question why a panicked diver spits out their regulator at depth, even when they have air in the tank. There isn't a clear answer, Eric says, but it's likely tied to panic and the tunnel vision that comes with it. Pre-dive nerves don't automatically signal that there will be a problem, but they can be a precursor to an accident should something else happen. Yeah, these are the things instructors look for. Right. Like we said, you know, you know, last week and, and earlier here, you know, that, that pattern of respiration mm-hmm. is going to indicate impending stress. You have to be aware of it. Right. It is best to address the reason for concern, Eric says, before the dive and either overcome it by asking for help or cancel the dive. Now, his lessons for life are one, don't dive beyond your comfort level. Seek out a refresher or dive with a buddy who is a dive master or dive instructor. Well, you have to caveat that. You don't dive. You have to push your comfort level a little bit to train, to get experience, but don't dive on a real, on a what I call a real dive, right? You, you got to train, train with an instructor to push your comfort level. Right? Yeah, uh, you need so you need a mentor in the water with you when you're approaching that stress comfort curve, right? right? That, 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 that threshold, that inner, yeah. that inner crossing of, of those points, right? That's how you grow as a diver, no doubt you about need it. That's to how do you it. Build the experience. You've got to be able to do it. But don't go right? pop on a boat, <laughs> right? Oh, you got a- the same problem as me. <laughs> Shit. <laughs> yeah. Shit. You were, I know you were no, in no, your no, mind like, you motherfucker. That's so unprofessional. The whole time I'm like, this is so fucking Brandon. He's such an unpro. S- cell phone said, going off. Non-fucking pro. <laughs> <laughs> and here you go. Um, but, I mean, you know, you got uh, the, 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 <laughs> the brakes the are going out in your car. God damn it. But you got to run up to the corner store to pick up a, what could happen? another another gallon of milk for, for the kids. Just... You know, they need cereal. <laughs> I, I, I should have changed the brakes. I got no turn signal. There's, the power steering went out last month. I, I go get some, right? 
there's a difference between that. And, well, you and got bigger it, problems. And pushing <laughs> it a little bit. And, and then going, you know what? While I'm on the way, let's jump on the highway and take a cross-country trip. I need to stop get at on the, grandma's. Get on the interstate. <laughs> I, I don't know. Does, does that make any sense? Like, like, there's a line between, like, crossing a little bit and pushing yourself. Yeah. Yes. Well, I mean, again, in order to grow, you need to, to push yourself over that threshold, but you need to do it under a controlled situation with, you know, ideally with someone who has done that before and ideally a professional. Well, yeah. And that's my point is like somebody yeah. that can tell you straight up, uh, you don't have the gas. <laughs> right. To do the dive you're, you're, you're well, trying to do, like to show you that, like, well, what, what are you doing, dude? I think, uh, I mean, now we get into another little branch off here. You could just go on and on about the dive industry. Like the captain of the boat, the dive master, there's a whole lot of professionals there that should have said, oh, single tank Joe here, he hasn't been diving, and he's popping down to 130 feet. Nah, that's not going to happen. I'm sorry. You can't do this dive. But, you know, greed is a funny thing. Well, yeah, and that I mean, there's so many of these. I, I feel for a lot of the dive industry folks. I do that too. Are just, I do too. You I'm know what I mean? A... That they're there on the boat. It's you hard know to... the the guy that that owns the operation. If that dive master goes, you're not diving today. Yeah, he's like, what are you and, doing? And he goes, you just you owe me two hundred bucks. Yeah. Well, he kicked off one of uh, one of my clients off the boat. Like that that two hundred bucks is coming out of your paycheck. Well, what if they made it so like you only get this money if we make it home? Man, it might be it might be a little bit different. But yeah, right, I get it. I get it. You know, it, you know. It, it's it's tough out there. Eric's second point is be properly prepared and equipped for the dive. And deep diving on air with a limited gas supply increases your risk. Well, no shit, it increases your risk. <laughs> no, <laughs> we should just call this. The obvious, the list of the obvious. <laughs> I mean, it is even to non-certified divers to a certain. Uh, there's so many things that, again, the real, the real thing here was the mindset. The mindset was not there. It was not taught to them. It's not, not promoted. Maybe I have no idea how the open water course went, but I know how, you know, the mass open water course is, and the mass adv- advanced quote unquote card is, and what we see on the boat. And things like proper mindset and, and clear logical thinking and, you know, approaching the dive with a real gas plan, they're just not taught. Absolutely not. I mean, if even if uh, Kevin didn't get tangled up in the line, but he's down here in 130 feet of water of 150 foot feet of water in reality, and he has a free flow on his regulator because it's cold, dark water. Yeah. I don't think the situation turns out much different. No, it doesn't. Or his, or his buddy's regulator is <laughs> right. full like crazy, and he throws them an octo, and then they realize, oh, shit, we don't have enough for both of us getting home. Yeah. I, I mean, all perfectly acceptable possibilities. I mean, these are real possibilities that can happen when you dive deep, you dive with a single regulator, and you dive with inexperienced people. What I mean by inexperience, you have they have no experience down at 130 feet. Wow, Brando. Well, hey, that was a jittery dive right there. It was kind of a jittery dive, but uh, entirely preventable, entirely avoidable. 
uh, another one where it's like, of course, hindsight is twenty twenty. I, I get all I, that. I should have yeah. I should have known better when <laughs> when I, I saw you having breakfast by yourself in the corner of the restaurant. You told me that uh, you were going to be uh, taking Helena out to breakfast. <laughs> should have known something was up. Something the, the, the morning didn't start the way you had planned. Yep, I was crying in my cornflakes. <laughs> All right, everybody. Well, uh, you can go over to uh, scubadiving.com and uh, check out the story. The story is called Outer Limits. It's in their uh, Lessons for Life by good old Eric Douglas, another great article by him. And uh, Brando, should we sign some logbooks? Let's, uh, let's sign them. I'm, I'm going to let you sign my logbook first. Well, thanks, because I, I, I made the excuse of you always take the good, funny ones. Uh, dear, my dearest Jamesy, cool jacket, bro. <laughs> I know Helena would be proud. Dive safe. Helena gave me this jacket. <laughs> FYI. Uh, a caveat on it's, mine. Uh, she uh, gave it to you because she didn't want it in the first place. It's like <laughs> it's like her letter jacket. <laughs> she gave to me. It shows we're an item. We're an item. We're a thing. I like it. All right, Jamesy. All right, everybody. Uh, thanks for listening. Uh, we will talk to you again next week. Hey, uh, I want to, before we go, just a quick shout out. I I met a a really nice couple at the quarry teaching last weekend. I just want Ryan and Jen, if you're listening, which I hope you are. Awesome meeting you. I didn't have any stickers or anything to give them. You know, I like when you, when we see somebody, hey, and they recognize you and we love the podcast to do a little something for them. But uh, I I was in the middle of, I was literally walking down to the water in a wetsuit. So. Ryan and Jen, uh, uh, info at the Great Dive Podcast. Shoot us an email, and uh, I'll get you out some stickers. There you go, Ryan and Jen. See, old Jamesy, take care of you. All right, everybody, we'll talk to you next week. Smooth, baby. That's all I'm, that's my new sign-off. Smooth, baby. Blue, blue, blue.